Y'all know me. Know how I earn a living. This shark, swallow you whole. I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, Chief. Find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. You yell shots, we've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Mr. Vaughn, Mr. Vaughn, I pulled a tooth the size of a shot glass out of the wreck of the boat out there, and it was the tooth of a great white. A what? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the National Geographic. Now, I'm not saying that this is not the shark. It probably is, Martin. It probably is. It's a man-eater. It's extremely rare for these waters. But the fact is that the bite radius on this animal is different than the wounds on the victim. sound of my voice you are back in the jaws obsession where we are here to share with you prove to you convince you or remind you that jaws is the greatest movie of all time thank you for returning for an episode 47 orca talk what are the letters used to spell the name orca made of who designed those letters and what is the mystery of the disappearing fighting chair in the movie jaws All these questions and more are going to be answered in this episode 47, where we're going to take various little topics that have come up through listener emails or from random discussion that I've had with other listeners. We're going to compile them into this episode and try to get to them all. We're going to try to answer some of these questions and see what comes up. But before we get to the Orca Talk, let's get into the answer to last episode, episode 46. We had a trivia question where Noel Constantino from FMC Bill over at Etsy.com. A trivia question was tossed out there to the Jaws Obsession. What is the original name of the vessel that was used to make the Orca? We will look to none other than the director, Steven Spielberg, and he will provide us with that answer. This piece of wood, originally called the Warlock, by the way, it was a real boat called the Warlock, and we painted that over it, weird omen, and called it the Orca. And there you have it, from Steven Spielberg himself. The original name of the orca was called the Warlock, and that was featured in our episode 19, Fate of the Orca. If you want to go and listen to that, you'll find the history of what happened to the orca after the filming of Jaws. So what we're looking at here is the name Warlock is very significant to not only the history of of the boat that was going to be used to make the orca, but it actually comes into play in the Book of Quint. So the Warlock name does play some significance into the Jaws universe going forward when you reference the Book of Quint. 
That's very exciting. Of course, there's going to be more talk on that later after the book comes out. So Jaws Obsession listener Chris from North Carolina was the first to email in with the correct answer, Warlock. And Chris won the prize from Noel Constantino over at FMC Built at Etsy.com. The Jaws Orca sign, it's made to look like the piece of the orca with the registration number that was uh, seen in the film. Chris, thank you very much for emailing in. He wrote, uh, Chris wrote, thank you so much for your podcast. I love the Jaws movie and I'm looking forward to the book. Your work has really allowed me to share this love with my family. Thank you again and happy Thanksgiving. Yes, Chris, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope Thanksgiving was a good one for you down there in North Carolina. Thank you so much for writing in and participating in the second Jaws Obsession giveaway courtesy of FMC Built over at Etsy.com. Now, if anyone is interested in going over there, you can follow the links to FMC Built um, over at their Etsy shop, and you can actually see Noel has a few more listed. We had some sales in the when it was announced in the last episode, so there's still more over there, and it makes a very unique gift for the Jaws fan that might have everything. The sign looks really great. It's a wall decoration, and it's a cool piece of trivia. How many people know the Orca's registration number? So you can stump all your friends as they come over and look at your Jaws wall, and they can see, hey, what's that number up there? And then you can wow them that that's the registration number of the Orca. So for anyone that might have all the Jaws posters and all the Jaws collectibles, they don't have this because these are handmade by Noel, in Massachusetts, it's antique repurposed mahogany from an antique fishing vessel. Very, very unique design. Everybody, if you want to go look at that, you can go follow the links in the description of this broadcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you very much, Noel, and congratulations to Chris from North Carolina. We had another email from Robin. Hi, just wanted to say a huge thank you for my care package. I was blown away. Love everything. It brought me a ton of joy. I love the Show Me the Way to Go Home episode. It's one of my favorite moments, and it was just fascinating to hear about the different versions. I am hoping for a Susan Backlinney episode someday. Her performance is so utterly brilliant, and she seems like such an interesting person. I always wonder about Chrissy's backstory, too. Thank you so much for the care package and the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the book of Quint. I'm so excited to read it. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. All the best, Robin. Thank you, Robin. Robin was the winner of the first Jaws Obsession giveaway with the Brody Kitchen Calendar Tea Towel Contest. That package was sent by John Tedder over at Quint Shark and Shack over at Etsy.com. So Robin was blown away by the prize. Like the last episode, episode 46, which had, uh, which was the Way to Go Home, where we actually analyzed the Show Me the Way to Go Home song that's uh, featured in the movie, and Chrissy's backstory. Yes, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of characters in Jaws where you actually can go into backstories, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but there are, there's a, there, there are many more things that we can do with the Jaws, with an expanded Jaws universe in the future. Uh, very fun to see. And we can possibly answer some of these details in the future, which is exciting. So uh, as far as the Susan Backlinney episode, we can definitely do an episode on her. Wouldn't it be nice to have her on the show and ask her some questions? I think that's I think as we get into the Book of Quint release and we push the Jaws obsession into the future, I foresee us getting more guests that were involved 
with the production of Jaws and actually doing more interviews. That would be really nice, um, especially to get some, maybe some more details, extract more details out of this movie that we might not know of. So thank you, Robin, for writing in and, and congratulations once again as the winner of the first Jaws Obsession giveaway. So we had another email from uh, Leon in the UK. So Leon writes in, uh, hello, Ryan. I am sadly a little late to the Jaws Obsession podcast, but currently very much enjoying every episode as I play catch up. I'm currently on, on episode 18. Obviously, I have looked around already to discover what the big reveal was going to be in episode 20, and I am gutted to miss the crowdfunder for the Book of Quint. As an almost lifelong fan of the film, I like to hoover up lots of Jaws-related things. The more idiosyncratic, the better. And the Book of Quint seems right up my alley. I appreciate the book is still to be released to the crowdfunders, but is there any predicted date or place to purchase a copy afterwards? I'm stuck in the UK, but any information around this would be very much appreciated. Keep up the essential work. Kind regards, Leon from the UK. Thanks for writing in, Leon. And your email represents a number of emails I have been getting since the Book of Quint campaign had closed on Indiegogo, one thing about the Jaws obsession is that it has it has sea legs that extend beyond of just what the current episode is. We are getting new listeners every day from all around the world, and people are starting on episode one, and they're building up. If you can remember, I announced the Book of Quint on episode 20, which was around May of 2022, May of this year. And then we had the four or five month campaign for sponsors to the Book of Quint. And then that campaign would have to eventually close down. So to answer your question, Leon, what I have done was there's a there's a set number of books I had to order in order to satisfy uh, the delivery to all the sponsors to the Indiegogo campaign. And then there's a number of books that are designated that we're going to be using, that I will be using to query agents and to look to push this book into a publisher for a wider publication. I don't have the resources here to satisfy the demand that already I'm seeing. However, what we're going to do is with the amount of books left over by the second week of December, we're going to figure out some way that we're going to have some sort of sale, an online sale of some sort with a set number of books. And we're going to be using that to obviously to not just get the book of Quinn out there, but to raise money for Beneath the Waves, which is the entity for shark research and conservation uh, that 10% of the book will be going to. So you will be able to support Beneath the Waves and get a copy of the book of Quint, but there is not that many to go around. So I will have a better number on the, uh, a better idea of the number of books that we'll be able to put for sale. I'm toying around with having a local book sale here in Syracuse, New York, where I will have like a meet, maybe a meet and greet to anyone that wants to uh, local or anyone that wants to come here. But then I'm also at the same time, I think it would be only fair that people like Leon over in the UK would have access to the same sale so they'll be able to buy online. So we'll have more information. That will have to be around the second week of December. So maybe we can still get to that by Christmas. If not, you can definitely have it by the New Year's. But the thing is, is that I don't know the number we're actually working with yet, but there will be, there will be some extra books. It's just not that many. And that's why I hope that there is a publisher out there somewhere that will take this book up. Any publishers listening, jawsob2025 at gmail.com. 
and there is going there is a demand that people want to see what the, this whole book and uh, th- that people are going to want to know more about the backstory to Quint from Jaws. So very exciting and just hang in there, Leon. Um, I already wrote Leon back, but um, if anyone else is interested, you can always write me here at JawsOB2025 at gmail.com. I will give you the up-to-date uh, scope of what's going on. However, um, I will also be saying this in episodes going forward. Very exciting this week. I'm expecting the uh, run of books to be completed down in at Lightning Press down in New Jersey, and I will be headed down there to pick them up bring them back and that's when they start that's when the mailing starts so now now that now that process all has to has to fire up i'm extremely excited to finally share this book with everyone for people to read it that's what makes an author's day is when people read their work and i'm excited to not just share the story but also talk about the story with people i can't wait to um, the expanded Jaws conversations that are going to happen when people read the book and then they want to talk about it more. So I look forward to that. And this is going to be kicking off a whole new era for the Jaws universe. Very excited to see. Very exciting to see that. I'd like to thank everybody who's been writing in all your words of encouragement. And I can just feel the energy building, the excitement building for the backstory to our favorite fisherman, Quint, that we are all going to be in our mind's eye, that we are all going to be watching this movie through the written word. And it's a classical style, a classical way for us to come together as a Jaws community and enjoy the movie Jaws with the information that we're going to be establishing with this book. Thank you for all your emails and keep them coming. Keep them coming because it makes for it makes for a fun time to do these episodes when we have a community uh, coming together. So with that, let's get on to Orca Talk. And as everyone knows, we can't have Orca Talk on the Jaws Obsession without our resident Orca specialist. Okay, and we're excited to have John Tedder back from Quince Shark and Shack and OrcaRebuild.com. John, thanks for coming back on the show for this episode 47 of Orca Talk. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm excited to get to some of this information here that we've been compiling. Always have Orca questions coming in from listeners out there and emailing in. And I thought we could get a couple of these little specific pieces out of the way. It's not enough for a full episode, but if we throw it all together, I think we have a big, uh, a lot to get through and to use your expertise regarding the Orca. So thank you very much for coming on the Jaws Obsession once more. Let's start with this. The answer to the trivia question of what was the original name of the vessel that would become the Orca was the Warlock. John, what do we know about the Warlock as a vessel that was out of Marblehead, Massachusetts? Do you know any specific details into the history of that boat? So there's a few things that are very interesting about it. The vessel itself was found in Marblehead, Massachusetts, and it later went on to become the Orca. Those are the two biggest things about it. Now, to begin with, it was just a lobster boat to begin with. It was a lobster boat first that was later converted into a cabin cruiser. Or, as Quinn would say, pleasure boating and day sailing. Oh, interesting. Okay. And you can tell that it was a lobster boat to begin with because if you notice, you'll see this exhaust stack coming up in pictures of it when it's still the warlock. You can see the exhaust stack coming up just above the cabin, but the exhaust 
the muffler is on the inside of the cabin, and that would have been done to keep you warm in the winter. Aha. So that's so you're saying that, okay, the, the pictures that we're going to put on our show notes over at our Telegram channel at Jaws OB, that's going to show what the Warlock looked like when Joe Alves picked it up out of Marblehead, Massachusetts. The white, it had the white paint on it. And you're saying that that cabin was rebuilt to make it into a cruiser, so it was rebuilt with the muffler on the inside to keep everybody warm on the inside. That or at some point it had already been walled in on one side partially because you'll see a bunch of lobster boats that have a partial wall, right? a partial siding. Okay. And the reason for the muffler being on the inside is to help keep fishermen warm. Uh, we've talked about it on the show before. My grandfather, he built ships down in Mobile back during World War II. Mm-hmm. He was a tugboat operator as well, and they had a muffler on the inside of their tugboat. And he said that during the winter, it was great. It kept you warm, but during the summer, it sucked. Ah, yeah. So, yeah. So in the summertime, yeah, you would have to be you'd be outside on the deck because it would be piping hot inside. That's really interesting fact because what happened is, as we all know, uh, with the Orca, the muffler is, is on the outside of the aft bulkhead of the cabin on the Orca. So they moved it to the outside. So we don't know if the boat was an actual lobster, what, that it was a working lobster boat before marblehead right we don't have any history on that there's not any history on that but most likely it was and a lot of people if you go online you'll see where people always ask the question you know who made the boat was it made by like any specific boat builder company you know was it a specific model right and the answer to that is no and what's interesting about the warlock is and the orca we're gonna call it the warlock for now yep What's interesting about the Warlock is the hull shape is what is called a Cape Island hull design. And Cape Island is in Nova Scotia. Now, right. okay. another name for them, or they're called Novi boats because they're from Nova Scotia. Right. Novi boats were built out of green wood because that is what's readily available up there. The Orca was not made out of green wood. She was made out of white oak which was confirmed by Alan Aquino. Very interesting. So the Warlock was made out of white oak. So what what can we tell that it's not out of greenwood, is that it wasn't constructed up where all the rest of the Nova Scotia lobster boats are usually come from? Correct. And a very good friend of mine, Jesse Thompson, we've talked about him on the podcast where he makes those very, very, very wonderful, accurate orca models that yes. you see floating around. And they're all built by hand. And if you ever get your hands on one of them, they are well worth it. He and I were able to track down at one point that the orca most likely come out of Washington State. Wow. We were able to track that down. And this was over the past few years. And I'd have to get in my books, my notebooks that I keep a record of all this, Mm -hmm. to go through the months and months of how we kept all this and I logged all the information. Came to the conclusion that she was most likely built in Washington State, around the Seattle area, in one of the boat built in one of the boat building shops that were there, which is interesting because you really don't see boats like that in that area. You mostly see, you know, the, the that style of lobster boat over on the East Coast, you know, up around you know Massachusetts and all that, Maine, okay, New York, okay. and so. It just adds to the further mystery of the Orca. Why was it built in Washington State? And how did it make it all the way over here to Marblehead, Massachusetts? 
Oh, that's fantastic. What a piece of information that is. And if you, a lot of people ask, you know, what is the number when Hooper goes down into the lower hole to get the, the Neo Flasher Shark Tracker? Um, there is a number that is inscribed upon the bulkhead. It's carved into it. And that is the registration number is what that is with the Coast Guard, oh. one of them. All and right. when you go to top that in, you can't find, you can't pull anything up about it. Now, the reason you can't pull anything up about it is because what a lot of people got to realize things back then they were not computer a lot. They were not in a computer. They were written down in a book, and those books were transferred over to a computer later on. But right. sometimes, you know, they either not gotten to it yet, which is highly unlikely. Or it just wasn't logged. So you, that could have been an old registration number from even when it was the Warlock or before. So before Marblehead. Correct. So you were able to, from the, the, the type of wood that it was made out of and uh, through the history and the digging that you actually were able to track it all the way back to Washington State. And from Washington State, it found its way over to Massachusetts, where then that's how the Universal Production discovered it and found it. And that's how Joe Elves discovered it in Marblehead. Correct. And, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, that doesn't really sound very feasible. Well, it doesn't sound very feasible for a boat from Camden, Maine, to find its way all the way down to Alabama being turned to the Orca either. But yeah, here we are. Right, right. Your boat was originated in Maine, and now it's down in Alabama, and it's being reconstructed in the Orca. See, so for everybody that does not uh, maybe is hearing this for the first time, John is rebuilding the Orca one to one scale down in Alabama. OrcaRebuild.com. You can find uh, search Orca Rebuild on YouTube or follow the links in the description of this broadcast. And you can see the uh, John is extensively documenting every aspect of this rebuild. So boats travel around. They get trailered up and they go places. So it's not just that it was sailed down. It's It gets put on a trailer and it can go across the country every which way. For people that listen to episode 19, The Fate of the Orca, the Orca actually went from Martha's Vineyard and then went all the way back to California where Alan Aquino acquired it, and that's where it, it found its final resting place back over in California. So that 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 vessel traveled Washington to Marblehead to Martha's Vineyard back to California. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. That's, that's pretty amazing information we just learned there. Absolutely. That's cool, John. That's why we have you as the resident orca specialist of the Jaws <laughs> Obsession. This is great. This is a, I, I'm, I love learning this stuff. Now, Noel also uh, had a question regarding the font for the orca. Okay. So he found, uh, he was working in Marblehead, Massachusetts, and he found an old dive bar, a fisherman's hangout called the Riptide. Let's start out. What was Joe Alves' official role on the set of Jaws? Let's let's iron that out right now. All right. So what Joe did, let's be honest, when he did Jaws, he did a little bit of everything from location yeah. scouting to the set builder, special effects coordinator for the mechanical shark. Yep. I mean, you might as well, he needs a new role. They need to go back and do a new credit for him in Jaws that says, did everything is yeah. what they need on there. Because that, that's what he did. He, did. he didn't just have one role. He did a little bit of everything. He did some filming. He filmed the last shot of the movie when right. Spielberg wasn't there. He filmed the last shot. Right, right. And and his only his official credit, uh, according to the Internet Movie Database, is he was the production designer. He was production designed by mm-hmm. Joe Alves. But like you said, he was doing mechanical work on the shark. He was doing so special effects work. He was doing set designer, second unit director. He was also location scouting. He went and acquired the Warlock, which was the original vessel 
They needed a boat to become Quint's fishing boat, the Orca. Now, in Marblehead, Massachusetts, they have this hangout, this fisherman's bar called the Riptide. And what Noel did is took a picture of that sign, and the R has that extensive hook on it that looks like it could have inspired the font because we do know that Joe Elves mm-hmm. also created the Orca lettering. Do you think we can eventually get an answer to the inspiration of that Orca lettering from Joe Elves? Oh, yeah, I definitely think we can get a get an answer about that here pretty soon. I believe we can. Not give a lot of people don't know uh there, there's something in the works and it's kind of what ryan is alluding to but we'll have an answer to that soon enough um but i have forwarded i went ahead and forwarded and if i find out before something yep i have went ahead and forwarded the question over uh, to get it to him and as soon as i find out i will definitely let ryan know and it'll be brought up again in the near future well that's great see we get we have we have john on the case on this so we're still trying to work that answer out john has many contacts out there so we're going to try to find out the answer to noel's question we just don't have it yet but let's continue to talk about the orca lettering john okay uh in the book of quint the letters are described as made of heavy aged brass what were the letters actually made of and how did joe alves make the lettering that we saw the orca in jaws the screen use lettering so so how Joe made them, he drew them by hand and cut them out himself is how he made them. Now, as far as what they were made out of, there is a lot of speculation about that. I personally think they had two sets, and I can back this up. When the orca is sitting at the dock in Manipshire, okay, or at Amity Point, right as Quinn is walking down and he asks Hooper, you know, what, what are you, some kind of half-assed astronaut? If you look at the letters, they don't look like they do later in the movie all rusted. They look more like aged brass. Right. They're... When Quint first hooks the shark and he's and Hooper is backing the orca down on the shark, they are reflecting a yellowish color. Right. And they have a yellow color to them, a kind of a gold color like brass wood. Whereas if they were steel, it would be a reflection. And if it's rusted, it's not going to reflect really that much. There's like a shine to it, right? Exactly. And then later on in the movie, when you get the close-up of the transom, the letters are all rusted and, you know, look like they've been out there a real long time. Right. I believe they had two sets. You mean one for the Orca and one for Orca 2? Or do you think that they replaced them some way through on the main Orca? I believe they had a set for the Orca 1 and the Orca 2 because that would only make sense because they used both boats to film scenes that were, there were scenes that were filmed on the Orca 2 where the Orca was not sinking. Right, okay. And that's how you can catch some of the continuity mistakes with the Orca itself. Yeah, that's that's interesting because those those four letters have a specific, a a distinct style, a specific style. Mm And they have a have their own look to them. We used on-screen evidence to mm. actually say we're going to call it brass because of the luster, because of the glow of them, and any kind of rust trails. We were just going to say that was the bolts or the nails holding them to mm-hmm. the transom, and that's kind of what we used as clues in order to because that was what we had an extensive discussion on this because when I was writing the book, I, I said, yeah, mu- yeah, over multiple nights, you're right. I said, I have to know the make the, the material because I have to write about this. So I wanted to get this very accurate, and we narrowed it down to that those are brass letters. So in the Jaws universe, we're calling it, they're, they're made of brass, they're brass letters from the clues in the movie Jaws. Going back to the color of the letters, just 
Yeah. Real, real briefly, I could be 100% wrong. There might have only been one set, and they might have been made out of steel, like some people say. And it just reflected yellow because of the sun and at the dock, you know, maybe right. that's when it just started started rusting, get some surface rust. Right. I could be 100% wrong. I'm not going to say I'm 100% right, but that's just how it looks to me. We're, we're kind of just doing investigation on a movie that was right. fil- filmed in 1974. So we have to eventually call it something, right? And that's the thing is that I don't, I just don't see them painting the steel letters. You, you know what I mean? And and let's just say it, it just, it works better with the brass because they would have been with, you and I both know how saltwater reacts with steel, unpainted, right. unpainted steel or metal, sheet metal. They would have, mm-hmm. they would have been red, red, right. you know, like, it, it, I don't know if anyone's ever seen, if just Google, um, if you Google photos of uh, of lobster boats or fishing trawlers, when they bring the steel nets over the side, they have these huge sections of steel that hang off the hull, and they're usually straight red rust because that's the that's pr- to prevent the hull from getting damaged. But it's all rust because you know salt water does a damage on it. So they have to be something of some sort of, uh, and we do know that brass doesn't rust, right? Correct. Yeah. It just tarnishes. Yeah, tarnishes and might get that patina on it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really that cool little effect. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's possible that you could have just had those four letters, and then you reach over the side, you just polish them up. They they glow. So that's where that's where we came down with that. But you know, you have information exactly who has the screen used orca letters in Jaws, and who is that person? Jerry Seinfeld. There you go, folks. Jerry Seinfeld has the actual ORCA from the Orca in Jaws. That That's actually pretty cool. That's probably one of the coolest items you could have, screen-used items for all the collectors out there. That's got to be in the top three, don't you think? Definitely top two, if not top three. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, how iconic is that? So let's stay on, let's stay on the lettering, the font style of the Orca. The, the Book of Quint itself utilizes not only on the cover, but within the text and chapter headings, an Orca font and a Quint font that you created, John. You created these fonts with your own talents. How did you create this font? The, let's, let's talk about the Orca font. It's unbelievable. Okay. Every, I've had a lot of comments on it, and I've, and, and <clears throat> I've, that people are just like, how did, how did you guys get a font that actually uh, resembles? Because the, the Orca is only four letters, O-R-C-A. How how were you able to create from just four letters that were used in the movie an entire font? Well, you start looking at those and you notice like it has this, it's almost decorative in a way, but it's also very simple with angles and curves. Okay. So I'd sit up at night with nothing else better to do. <laughs> and I would just, I went through several different designs for the rest of the alphabet excluding the RCA. I went through different variations of each letter, which was the most troubling part and i got stuck between one style for a few different ones and ultimately decided on the ones that are now in the font itself because they just felt more like what would be natural to the font itself if that makes sense right and i stayed up many a night just doing sketch after sketch of different versions and finally i got to where i I wanted it to be about what felt natural and that, that's going to be a word that you hear me say about the font itself, but how it just feels natural with the other four letters. Mm-hmm. Because it has to go together or, you know, it's not going to look right. Right. So, and to me, it had to look natural. So I went from taking my sketch and looked at it. And I have a program called Glyphs app, which is a font creator. You have to pay for it. It's uh, 
you can do it, you could probably do it with one that's uh, free, but for the more higher end ones that you have, you have more creative ability by making curves and whatnot. And I was able to do it, and it took a little over a month to get it done between you know all my projects, and then I do have a life right. work, so I was able to get it done through that. But it was a very interesting process on doing it. Complete success, though, it, because it's seamless. It really oh, yeah. is. It, it's pretty amazing. Like the Q for Quint has the style of the O. So you had the Orca, the O, right? And then you just have to now, you just have to get that Q slash over there for, but that's what's, ever. it's seamless. Everything works. When I saw that and you allowed me to use this font, it seemed like the book just came to life. Like there were things I could do inside the book how I can describe certain situations or, or describe the lettering using that font. Mm-hmm. Now that really brought the book to life when I saw that font. And then you, the, the other one is you had a quint font. A lot of yes. people don't understand that there was an, another lettering that was used in the world of quint on Amity point, which is his fishing town on the West end of the Island. Uh, what is the quint font and where was it used in the movie? So the Quint font, and the reason I call it the Quint font is because you don't see it anywhere else except with Quint. That, that's the only other place. And you first see it in the deleted scene of when Quint pulls his truck up outside of the town hall right before the, uh, the famous board scratching scene. Okay. And on the truck, on the door, on the driver's side door, there is a shark, outline of a shark. It's a great white. And then up at the top, there is some, uh, it looks like script writing, except it's not cursive connected. It's almost fancy in a way, a bunch of, yeah. bunch of swirls on it. And it says Quint. Now, a lot of people don't know this because you don't see it unless you look at production photos. But it also, on the door to Quint Shack, the green door, it does say Quint. And then it says boat for charter on it. The lettering on the utility bed of his truck on the pieces of plywood where the uh, utility door would open where it's missing. There's pieces of plywood right there where it's painted boat for charter on there as well. And that's where it came from. That same script is used and we're going to put pictures again. There's going to be pictures on our show notes of what John is talking about, that there are, there are behind the scenes. There's, there's set photos of the prop truck that was used as Quint's truck. Yeah, boat for charter on the door and on the truck itself. You also have a picture of the door to Quint's Shark and Shack. Do we know who painted the original lettering, those letters? Joe Alves. Joe Alves. So see, so we have Joe Alves. He created, he had this specific lettering for not just the Quint advertisements on Quint's truck, but he had for the Orca as well. And what John did was he used that inspiration to create two fonts, of which are used in the book of Quint, not just the cover, but the chapter headings and inside in in the text inside. It's worked into the book. Absolutely amazing, John. We're going to hold you longer now. We're going to talk about the Orca mystery that has perplexed Jaws fans for many decades. It's the mystery of the disappearing fighting chair. Oh God! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now you have now you have read the book of Quint, and yes. this is a, you were a technical advisor on the book, um, and we had a specific conversation. We we detailed this. This is a prime example of why a prequel can add to the had add context to the original movie of Jaws, 
and help explain the little missing puzzle pieces that are in there because some people might not realize that there is a reason why that chair goes missing. The chair was a, it was a topic of discussion between us. It's not a continuity error or a plot hole. There's an actually a logical reason. Let's talk about that Rockaway fighting chair. We talked about it before in prior episodes, but just to catch the audience up, how heavy is that fighting chair and what is it made out of? Okay, I'm going to go into a little bit of history about Rockaway very briefly. Um, it was not a company mass producing these chairs. It was two men in a garage doing it in Massachusetts. Wow, that's and interesting. And they made two models. Yeah, it, wow. it shocked me when I found out. Okay, so they made um, two models had, out of a garage. Two models out of a garage. One was your standard heavy-duty fighting chair like Quint had. And then the other one was called a Selfish model that didn't recline it was very lightweight was made out of aluminum believe it or not made out of aluminum now the stand now the fighting chair the heavy duty one itself is actually made out of solid bronze that has a chrome coating over it or chrome or nickel coating depending on the time when they were doing it they were made out of solid bronze and these things weigh close to 200 pounds put together the heaviest part is the base is the chair itself the chair in the back now, to alleviate some of the weight in the movie, what they did, they took the seat itself and the back off and replaced it with teak wood, but it's still very heavy because of the frame at the bottom of the chair. What's the original wood that they used? What is the original wood? Uh, what they used in the movie was teak wood, but for when the two guys in the garage were making it, it was everything was solid cast bronze. Whoa. Every bit of it is wow. solid cast bronze. The arms on the chair were made out of teak wood, and so was the footrest was um, teak wood as well. That's the only two. There was only three pieces of wood that were on the chair itself at the time. Okay, and that's a trend that they continued. So you're saying that this thing was it's it's a reinforced fighting chair. It weighs around 200 pounds. Yes, the one that Quint has that we see in the movie, the metal structure is bronze. So that's why it's got yes. a little bit of greenish in there, right? Isn't there some green, green on there? Okay, so, and then they had teak wood is, is what makes up the seat in the back. Mm-hmm. Is it possible, and this is going to lead us to this answer, because what happens now in Jaws is you have up until one hour and 25 minutes into the movie, they had the scene where Quint has the shark on the line, Mm-hmm. Then they lose the shark off the line, lose one in your rig one, hooks and lines, all that talk. Then they finally get one barrel in the shark, okay? And then the shark takes that barrel down. At one, one hour and 25 minutes into the movie, it's the sun is setting. Quint says, we stay out here. We got one barrel. In, what's the line, John? We We've see- got one barrel on him. We stay out here till we find him again. Yes, then it goes to dissolves. So it dissolves to sunset, and then it dissolves to complete night, and now we're into the orca for the uh, dinner scene with the Indianapolis speech. But what we know about dissolves, it's a filmmaker's technique. That's Spielberg telling us that there's a passage of time. We don't mm-hmm. know how long that is, but that's a passage of time. It's not a quick cut, so they're not just going right into... During that dissolve, those dissolves... We never see the fighting chair ever again. It's now disappeared. So you have the Indianapolis speech. You have the show me a way to go home. The shark attacks the boat. 
And then the sun comes up and now they're working on the engine and there is no more fighting chair. The people over the years have said that's a continuity error or what did they do with the, what did they do with the chair? Where did the chair go? Did they forget to put it on for that day and they just left it off? So is it possible for Quint to have modified the chair to break it down and stow it below in the forward birthing compartment with the help of Hooper and Brody? Is that possible? Absolutely, but the chair already comes apart because it's all put together it's put together with bolts so all you'd have to do is take a ratchet and socket set and just take it apart well there you go the explanation that is written into the book of quint is that there's two methods of hunting sharks that quint has he tricks them to the surface to jab at them using the rod and reel and the fighting chair but when he gets a barrel attached to it now the deck has to be rigged for barrel recovery so to create mm -hmm. space for working and landing the shark with the jib, I describe it as, it's my top gun description, you're switching from missiles to guns. So Quint switches from rods and reels to harpoons and barrels. So Quint would have to have switched his methods once that first barrel is landed. So now he gets his two guys and he says, come on, we got to rig the deck for barrel recovery. He then proceeds to disassemble the chair and they stow it below. That to me was the most logical and same to you, right? That was the most logical way of explaining where this chair goes, correct? Correct. It can't go below, right? Because there's an engine down there. No, God, no, you can't. I, I, th this is this yeah. is a topic that I see pop up on Facebook in the groups all the time. No, the, the chair will not just simply fit below the deck where it's at there is no room plus you have an engine down there and you have the propeller shaft and all other little bips bobs odds and tongs down there mm -hmm. the only place that it could have been put would have been in the ford trunk cabin or the ford lower cabin this is where if you have this information in an established prequel then now your enjoyment of jaws is increased because now you have context now you actually can say okay that's where the chair went because now i saw Herschel and Quint doing that, that's what they do with the chair earlier. I think that's one of the big things is that it's not really a myth if you actually know the techniques that are happening here. And I think that's why that makes our case for the Book of Quint even more important is that we have to, we're establishing a lot of little details, but they actually make for one greater and more clear picture when you watch Jaws. And I think that's, that's great. What do you think about that, John? I 100% agree. And, you know, a lot of people, when I see this argument come up, this debate, rather, about the fighting chair, they'll say, well, Jaws isn't necessarily a grounded in reality. You have a 25-foot shark and this, that, and other. So maybe the chair will just fold up and put down below. That's a cop-out. That's a cop-out because Jaws is absolutely grounded in reality. We've prove that time and time right. again on this podcast and for somebody just to say that there's a 25 foot great white knot out there i propose to you we've simply not found it yet because we do know of a 23 foot female great white that is absolutely huge right named deep blue so jaws is absolutely grounded in reality it absolutely is and to just simply say that just to use an answer of oh it just folds up and fits below deck without using lack of common sense, just thinking you can just fit in a tiny hole that, that you know, Quentin Hooper come up out of when they're working on the engine. It, it doesn't work that way. And of course, there's people that don't know about 
fishing and things like you and I do, Ryan, too. So, I mean. Right. There's that, a there's a hyperactive reality that we're dealing with here that's Jaws. Right. And that we are, and that by by injecting these little bits of information in there, we actually are showing that there's a lot more going on that's not shown in the movie. Unfortunately, they didn't have time for all this. So you might see something and you might, people, like you said, we're not taking cop-outs here. We don't want to use a cop-out we, because that's the, that's, there's a temptation to just kind of write that off when you really don't have to if you know the science or you know the details of what's going on in these specific scenes. I think we just nailed this mystery down, and that's what's so exciting is that in the book of Quint, <clears throat> is that that we are we're now we're now given an opportunity to take these little mysteries or to to just put more information out there and then make this hyperactive reality that much more real for the fans of jaws and i think we did that here that's great that's a that's some groundbreaking information that we just realized with what happens to the fighting chair at one hour and 25 minutes into the movie that we don't see but because of those dissolves the passage of time proves that there was a lot more going on that we do not see in the movie that happened with, with what these three men were doing in regards to the shark hunting techniques of Quint. So Christmas shopping season is upon us, John. And Quint's mm. Shark and Shack has a lot of unique items out there. Over on Etsy.com, Quint's Shark and Shack is uh, where John has a lot of interesting items. I'm going to have all the links for John's sites, but most importantly, the Quint Shark and Shack has a lot of interesting Jaws items that are great gifts for the Jaws fan that might have everything. So if you're listening out there and you know someone who's a Jaws <clears throat> fan, the odds are these unique gifts that John makes himself and is available at Etsy.com at Quint Shark and Shack might be perfect for you this year. How are uh, how are things looking over there, at Quint Shark and Shack? Uh, I'm running out of stuff. I'm having to reorder. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, That's always good news. Uh, yeah, I'm running out. Um, <laughs> There's something I'm going to do for our listeners, uh, our listeners only, because that's the only way you don't know about this. The next episode, I will give uh, Ryan a coupon code for Jaws Obsession Podcast listeners. And that's the only way that you donn't get this code for 25% off your entire order. It does not matter what you order in my shop. Everything will be, your entire order will be 25% off. And I will give that code to Ryan uh, in time for the next podcast so he can announce it. That way I have time to restock everything in my store. How about that? Uh, but, how about everything, that? Everything, everything's going good. Everything's going really good. That's fantastic. No, we're like that's that's great. We're gonna have twenty five percent off for the Jaws Obsession listeners. We're gonna have that for the next episode, and uh, and that you actually have to restock because you're just getting a run over there. Now, what? How late can someone looking for a Jaws gift from you? How late do you think they can order something and get still get it before Christmas? So there, we still have time. Yeah, there's still time, and with my track record last year, the latest, the absolute latest, if you want it in time for Christmas, the absolute latest, and I stress this, is going to be December, roughly December 10th and December 15th. Now, however, I will say this, once it leaves my hands and it is in the hands of all the different postal workers and it goes through the post, I can't control how fast it gets to you. Um, this is a holiday season. This is Christmas. Everybody's ordering. Everybody's doing Black Friday shopping. Everybody's trying to get in last-minute Christmas items for the yeah. kids. And, you know, the things are going to be slowed down. I can't control how fast it gets to you. I can just control how fast I get it in the mail, typically within a day or two of you ordering it, depending on how much I have. 
is no more than ever three days. And between December 10th and the 15th would be the latest dates if you wanted to get these items before Christmas that John can actually make a solid attempt and get them in there and then you have a puncher's chance at getting them before Christmas. So uh, wonderful news. This is really, this is great. I love, I love hearing this. I just wanted to say before you leave, John, our contest winner from the Brody Kitchen Calendar contest, mm-hmm. Robin. Yeah, uh, Robin. Yeah. Extremely grateful, extremely excited about the uh, Jaws Obsession Quinn Shark and Shack care package that you sent. That was a very, oh, good. that was great. Robin received that and th- that was a great gift for our first ever Jaws Obsession giveaway for, with the Brody Kitchen Calendar Contest from episode 44. I want to thank you very much for also this announcement of the 25% off coupon that will be coming out for episode 48. How exciting is that, John? Thanks. Once again, you, you, you hit the ball out of the park. Thanks again so much for Orca Talk and for being able to solve some of these Orca mysteries. Well, I always love coming on and, you know, people... I love being asked questions about the Orca because it's not something that I really get asked a lot. It means a lot coming on the podcast, and I really enjoy doing it. Great to have you as always. And we're going to, and anybody that wants to contact John, just follow the links in the description of this broadcast, and you can reach out to him through his Instagram, YouTube, or even his Etsy shop over at quintsharkandshack.com. John, thanks again for coming on. You're welcome, man. Come. All right. Talk to you later. Show me the way to go. Thank you very much to John Tedder of Quint Shark and Shack over at Etsy.com, OrcaRebuild.com. That's exciting news. So 25% off coupon will be announced for episode 48. So when everybody hears that episode, you go over to his Etsy shop and fire up your Christmas shopping list for the Jaws fans in your life. The movie Jaws is copyrighted property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within Section 107 of the Copyright Act. The copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. The materials used here are protected by the Fair Use Guidelines of Section 107 of the Copyright Act, all rights reserved to the copyright owners. Also, special thanks to Noel Constantino of FMC Built at Etsy.com. Follow the links below for FMC Built to go see the Orca signs that he has up there. And that concludes episode 47, Orca Talk. I think we all learned a lot about the Orca. It's been wonderful having you here. Thanks for listening. And you can write in at JawsOB2025 at gmail.com. You can go to our website at JawsOB.com, bookofquint.com. To look at our Telegram channel at JawsOB for our show notes, you can always contact me there. Thanks for listening. Until next week, farewell and adieu. Please show me the way to go home.